Hi folks, Jason Crane here reminding you about the 100 by 300 campaign. The idea is to get 100 members by the 300th show. Membership is easy. You can do it in one lump sum each year or month to month for as little as 10 bucks a month or $110 a year. If you choose one of the higher levels, particularly the $500 a year or $50 a month level, you'll be mentioned on every single show. You'll be an official sponsor of the Jazz Session. The 100 by 300 campaign, visit thejazzsession.com slash join to become a member today. Once again, that's thejazzsession.com slash join. Basic Hip. Welcome to the Jazz Session. I'm Jason Crane. The Jazz Session is presented by AllAboutJazz.com, the web's leading source for jazz news, reviews, MP3 downloads, and more. Every episode of this show, all 250 plus of them, is available for free at thejazzsession.com. And although that is true, that will only continue to be true if you become a member, which you can do for as little as 10 bucks a month or $110 a year, and there are levels above those as well. And at the highest level, either 50 bucks a month or $500 a year, you'll be mentioned on every single show. So if you want to become an official sponsor of the show, uh, that's a great way to get your name out there. Just remember, there are thousands of jazz fans who listen to every episode. It's a very specific crew of people who listen to this show, and they listen pretty faithfully. So if you'd like to reach them, that's one way to do it. My guest today is a guy who, uh, he contacted me himself, and then my friend Eli Asher, who plays trumpet in the Respect Sextet, also contacted me to say, don't sleep on this record. And uh, this is guitarist Nico Sofiato. He has a, a new CD out called Just Add Water, and it begins with a tune by Giacomo Morega, who plays uh, electric bass on the record, called Alexander.
My guest is Nico Sofiato. He and his quartet have a new album called Just Add Water. And uh, thanks a lot for being on the show. Thanks, Jason. I really dig this album, man. And uh, one of the things I like about it is that it kind of veers back and forth from this really like wide open uh, kind of tons of space and interplay and then sometimes it just rocks out it, it really covers the covers the spectrum so i thought maybe you could talk a little bit about what your vision was yeah for this record um when we recorded this um, um we had been playing uh for about a year year and a half um the um the group kind of started in in boston we had a piano player instead of a alto player and then um Giacomo, the bass player, Zach, uh, Mangan on drums, um, they moved to New York and um, I decided to have a horn um, as the fourth element, so uh, Nick Vidin um, joined. So we, we played um, around for, for a year and a half and when we recorded, we, we kind of wanted to like see where we were and it's like, okay, this is what we've been doing. Let's record it. And at that point, we had um, some written out stuff that it's, it's more jazz and some stuff is more, more rocky and there's some, some tunes that are very open. So it kind of represents what we were doing up to that point. And it was it's great to see and everyone was like, okay, this is what we're doing. And then now we're, we're um, kind of taking all the music forward and and it's the the whole the whole quartet is music moving towards a more of a open form um and and the parts where improvise are um, more just in quantity sure um and i should have mentioned at the beginning that you play guitar since we yes, have said that yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah and you know um i wrote um Maybe half of the tune, and Giacomo has one, and Zach has another. We did a couple of covers, so it uh, you know everyone um, is very present in this in this album. So it's you know my name is on it, but it's it's very much a, a group.
since this music had evolved out of live performance, were there either arrangement differences or just kind of a constriction or being more concise that you had to do when you were in the studio than what you might have been doing on stage when you played the same Yeah, tune. yeah, I'd, I'd say so. Um, some tunes uh, on, uh, on stage, we definitely stretch more and we'll have like longer solo section. and, and uh, But in studio, we, we really wanted to keep everything a little more tight and a little more uh, organized. Um, and... Um, yeah, I think I think that happened in the studio, which was uh, definitely a challenge to try to to kind of like squeeze like a, a 10, 15 minute uh, improvisation into like seven. And, right. Uh, so that was that was definitely a challenge for us. But you can definitely hear that it's a working band. I mean, there's a lot of intricacy on this record, as as we said, a lot of openness too. But there are a lot of places where you know very tight angular lines are being doubled by guitar and horn, for example. So you can definitely tell that you guys are comfortable with the material and comfortable around each other, which must be nice for you as a yeah. leader. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, uh, we rehearsed a lot and we, we played a lot, um, especially in the beginning. We were playing like out almost every week. And, um, you know, we, we all moved here about three, two to three, three years ago or so. So we were uh, just you know, wanted to play out a lot and, uh, and rehearse and, uh, you know, our repertoire isn't, uh, huge, but, uh, all the tunes that we really, uh, have them down. So that was a, a very, it's a very nice feeling when you're playing out and, uh, you can rely on this, um, common ground and, you know, we can uh, access it. And it's, it's really great that we were able to put all this work, uh, so. Now you come at music, uh, if I'm not mistaken, from both a performance background but also a, a theoretical or philosophical background, right? Isn't your your original degree is in philosophy of music? Right. right. Yeah, it's not really philosophy of music. It was more like a philosophy of language. Oh, okay. But, uh, but I, my thesis was I, I brought in music and okay. it's an ontology of music. So, um, and um, can you say a little more about that? What that means? Yeah, basically, I. I 
So I, I studied in, in Padova, which is in Italy. That's where I'm from, and um, studied philosophy there. And then I studied abroad at, at UC Berkeley for a year, where I I uh, worked on music a lot uh, with some of the the local uh, guys from the scene, you know, Ben Goldberg and John Schott and all those guys. So I I got really into music, um, and uh, also on that part of the philosophy, um, like analytical philosophy, which deals with, with, uh, with logic and all that. So when I went back to graduate, I wanted to incorporate um, my experience and, and that part of philosophy. And so basically I, I wrote about the, the, the musical work and kind of the relationship between the musical work and the performance. So that was a lot of fun for me. Uh, I don't know how fun it was for the people who read it, but... <laughs> I'm interested in that relationship. How did you? What were you trying to quantify or analyze uh, between the performance and the and the musical work itself? Um, basically, I, I I just um, the you know the 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 score. It's like one element. The performance is another element, and I I just looked at that relationship, um, and um, and also the you know the chapter was on like improvisation. So it's like what is that you know if if the musical work is a score you know is improvisation not a musical work so i kind of explore that aspect um and um you know ideas of like uh, the score as a as a as a almost like an instruction for the performance and then um all of that so are there some things that you uh that you concluded were uh, intrinsic to improvisation or some particular, some things that were the hallmarks of the difference between the written musical work and improvisation? I mean, of course, there's the obvious, which is that it isn't written, but right. beyond that. Um, I think one thing that I, that I wanted to, to point out is almost like the, the, the logical structure that sometimes you, you, you perceive on, on good improvisations, you know, um, it's, uh, and you say, oh, this could have been written, you know. So I, I, I try to, to bring that up because sometimes people listen to, you know, to improvisation and they're like, oh, it's just, you know, random, it's just kind of noodling around. But I wanted to, to, you know, that was like a small part because I had to focus mostly on, on, on the philosophical part and, you know, my audience wasn't really trained in music. So, Sometimes it was hard to kind of find a common ground, but uh, so that little chapter, I wanted to kind of point out that um, the logical presence, you know, in, in the improvisation where you're, you're playing, but you're really uh, making sense. So um, that was one part of it.
I always joke that uh, the other the other main thing I do besides interview jazz musicians is is write poetry, mm-hmm. and I always joke that I've found the two least lucrative things to do on the face of the earth. But actually, you may be in competition because you did right. philosophy yeah, yeah, and jazz yeah. performance. So I don't know. I may have found a new challenger here. But, yep, yeah. I got a you know a degree in philosophy, and my fallback position is a musician. <laughs> it's jazz so, guitar. So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's, that's great. Well, we can both live in Central Park together. That'll be yep. nice. <laughs> Um, I want to stay on this idea of improvisation, but uh, we can move away from from your academic studies and, and bring it into the real world as a as a performing musician. I'd be interested, for example, on this on this album. Uh, you know, the first few times I listened to it, not having been familiar with the compositions because they're they were new to me, it was often, as it often is these days, difficult to differentiate which parts of this are written and which parts are improvised. Sometimes it's easy when there's very intricate things happening, you can tell that has to be written. And so I wondered, for you, how important is that kind of uh, an, an easily definable structure in your improvisation? Can you talk a little bit about how you approach the craft of improvising, particularly within the context of this music? Um, in this record particularly, um, I, I rely a lot on the other guys too, because we, uh, you know, we've been playing, playing together a lot. So, um, we know what to expect and um, and we know where we can go um, and it's it's great to have that um, almost having like a safety net every time you can just go for it and someone is there to catch you which which is a great feeling while you're trying to to you know go somewhere maybe that you're not quite sure where it's going but you know that you can count on on the rest of the group And as far as the writing, you know, there's a few tunes where, you know, it's, it's basically like a, an opening statement and then we just kind of take some elements from that and we just work with them and see what we can find within that. So it, it's definitely, the writing is very important. It's not just um, like, okay, this is the melody and then let's forget about it and we'll just uh, jam. It's, it's really... Um, trying to incorporate and really play the tune even though um, sometimes there is no um, structure in terms of, of bars and harmony.
This is where we're heading a little, a little more uh, lately, where because we we all realize like oh we, we can kind of go wherever we want, so let let's write things that are a little more open, but that we can always access them through our improvisation. So, so for people who've uh, who've maybe never seen a kind of typical what we might consider a typical lead sheet for a jazz tune, it's usually the melody and the chords, and when you get to the bit where it's improvised, either you're just reading the same sheet down again, but you're ignoring the melody and improvising over those chords, or sometimes there'll be little hash marks or whatever that just says, do what you feel here. So in your compositions, do you do you define which elements you're going to develop from the written material that just occurred in some way? If um, someone were to look at a piece of paper that had this one of these tunes on it? Uh, sometimes, I mean, there's a, f a few tunes. Um, for example, A Code of White Primer, it's a more traditional in a way. It's 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 a melody, and then it's the structure, and we just go over the bars right. over and over, like a like you would approach a like a jazz standard, or like Irabdomante is also like that. Um, but tunes like um, like Just Add Water or The Giant, we um, <clears throat> it's it's open, so it's just. Um, there's no um, time signature or no um, harmony, so um, we can just... You get to the end of the page and it just says, there are dragons, and right. <laughs> off you go. <laughs> yeah, I mean, or for example, on View Askew, there's like, uh, like the saxophone will, um, is over um, a you know, number of bars that we loop and then we go to my solo, which is open, and then we go back to the melody. So some are a little more modular in a way. So, you know, this is the melody, this is where one person solos, and then this is another open. And then so you, you can take those modules and even in, in a live show, we can kind of switch them around a little bit. And um, so we did just little blocks that you can move around. So that's a, almost a kind of midpoint between the very structured and the very open. It sounds like, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, but it sounds like there was a point in your life where uh, maybe music kind of jumped over on top of the academic world as the thing you were going to focus most on. Is that is that what happened for you? Yes, yes, yes. Um, and, um, yeah, I have to say that, you know, the, the turning point was that <clears throat> year at uh, UC Berkeley where I, I was able to play a lot and play with a lot of, a lot of people and also uh, study music at the college and, and, and that. Um, and, you know, in Italy, we don't really have a, a very structured, uh, now it's changing a little bit, but uh, for music, you, you don't go to college for music. It's either conservatory for classical music or you do your usual college studies. Um, so for me, it was like really amazing to just be able to uh, study music in the class and then go out and play with other people. And it, and that made me, uh, you know, given that the, they both, you don't make any money with either one. <laughs> so I was like, oh, might as well just do this one that I enjoy more. So um, after that, after I graduated, I decided to just focus uh, and just do music 100%. And that's when I moved to Boston to go to, to 
the other Berkeley. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're one of those rare people who's been to both. Right. I would walk around Berkeley's campus right. with my UC Berkeley t-shirt and that's some weird spanning you've got there. Well, can you talk more about your time at Berkeley, the Berkeley in Boston, what that was like for you? Yeah, I was only there for a um, couple of years. For I was fortunately I was able to like transfer some credits and test out of stuff. So I I was able to graduate um, in a shorter amount of time. Um, but that was really great. You know, the the, the first couple semesters were a little rough because um, it was like new city and like the just trying to figure out what I wanted to get out of, of that experience because there's so much going on. But, um, you know, I, I met Zach and Giacomo there, which was great. And then I met so many people, then everyone out, you know, everyone kind of, you know, moved here. So you find the same people here. So that, that was a great uh, opportunity for me to uh, meet people and network and then... Um, find them here which was cool um but you know it was, it was really great because i had the chance to study with some some really great uh teachers um you know like john damian and dave tronzo and that was very um very important for me as as a musician so i was and you played in uh berkeley's all guitar ensemble too right yeah we, we did that uh that was fun um and then um I did like uh, all my recital. Oh, actually, we did like a recital with this group, and 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 we did a, another a couple like of improvised recital, which was uh, somewhat unusual for 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 Berkeley. So that was was kind of interesting. Um, but uh, yeah, there's a lot of guitar players there, <laughs> for sure. <laughs> and. Uh, have you, did you set yourself any kind of goal for when you came to New York or, or, uh, did you have expectations of what you would try to do once you arrived and, and how has it been since you've been? Um, well, I, I, um, uh, actually, as I was finishing Berkeley, um, I want, I'm, I was kind of debating where to move to New York or to the Bay Area, which was another part of the, of the states that I knew. And then I decided to 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 come to New York, um, and um, I mean, I, I knew it was gonna be like a you know a, a tough a tough choice because there's a lot of great musicians here, but uh, right from the beginning, um, I just tried to to you know just meet people and play, and um, um, you know, I moved here with uh, with another friend from from Boston, and we were living together, and we we started like playing a bunch. So it was just, I moved here like very focused, and it was just like, okay, let, let's do it, and I was like determined to to make it work. Um, and you know, it's working so far. <laughs> Is there any sub community of Italian jazz players here in the city who? Yeah, actually, yeah. I mean, um, yeah. The, for sure, uh, a lot of uh, a lot of friends um, that I actually met in in Boston um, then moved here in New York, and there's uh, yeah definitely a little bit of uh, uh, Italian community within the improvised uh, music community, which is which is kind of fun. And I don't know anything about Padua where you were studying. What how large a city is it? Is there a jazz scene there? What was it like as a musician? Um, there's not a not a great jazz like kind of all over Italy there isn't a, a, 
a big jazz scene, but there's definitely like a few um, a few musicians that I I really think you know I really enjoyed playing with them and I studied with them and uh, but um, you know it's 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 a relatively small town and people travel a lot to 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 go to the near cities to play and, and rehearse and all that. Sure. Um, but, you know, the, especially like the, the improvised um, music scene is very small um, and it's uh, not really happening. But, uh, you know, the the ones that do it, I think they're really great. So that's good. Yeah, and my experience, uh, which is limited, but of, of Italian players has always been that uh, some of the most adventurous people in the music, like a lot of great free players uh, over the years, you know, who've come out of that scene. It seems like there's a real spirit of, yep. of adventure. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. In fact, I I, I go back, uh, you know, every year or so, and um, usually with the, with the same uh, two or three people, we, you know, we play a couple of shows, and uh, it's always great to... to to see that they're doing what we're doing here. Uh, so it's really great to have that common language, even though they're developing it kind of their way over there. Sure. So that's really, really cool. Since you've played on uh, on both the East and West Coast uh, here in the U.S., do you do you see any stark differences between the the jazz worlds and the two the two coasts? We used to talk about East and West Coast jazz, uh-huh. and I'm not sure how true that ever was. But uh, in any case, I'd be well. Interested. I mean, uh, my exposure to, to to the West Coast was not you know I was there for only like a year or so, sure. so I didn't play a whole lot. But um, the you know the people that played there were really really great and. Uh, so the 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 music was was great, and I had the chance to to, to study with the, with the John Schott, who's a great guitar player, and and Ben Goldberg, uh, who's also really great. Um, and it just there's just uh, fewer, you know. I, I I feel like it's just a matter of like quantity rather than quality. You know? Sure. Just there's they're great, just 
few. Fewer of them, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, in addition to your own quartet, are there other projects that you're involved in now in New York? Yeah, I have a, this um, this group um, of improv- improvisers, I guess. It's called Pair Them Refrain, which actually originally started um, as a duo in Italy with uh, bass player uh, Alessandro Federigo. And then I kind of brought the project over uh, here and um, I kind of continued the project when I was in Boston and I had, um, um, it was still a duo with this uh, with the Italian drummer Marco Buccelli and then when we moved to New York we added um, Giacomo on bass and we, we were playing uh, a bunch, we had like a, a weekly thing and um, now we have a, a monthly residency out in Bushwick um, at Goodbye Blue Monday, and now it's it's Jacques um, bass and Matt Russo on um, on drums and myself on guitar. And every month we invite um, one or two guests uh, to join us for an improv set, and um, that's been really great because um, every month we get the chance to meet new people, and sometimes we just uh, introduce ourselves on stage and. It's a great way to, to meet a person and, uh, you know, we've had, you know, we've been doing this in Bushwick for maybe two and a half years every month. Um, we have like a, a, had a bunch of people from, um, from Boston, we had like, uh, you know, Dave Tronzo play guitar and Bruno Rayberg and um, then here in New York we had uh, just a multitude, uh, Noah Kaplan and Sonny Kim and um, Andrew Smiley and just Marco Capelli, that's another Italian guy, and some other people from Italy, like um, Danilo Gallenzano De Rossi, and uh, yeah, we just try every, every you know, Eli Asher came um, many times. Um, and is it totally free, just uh, yep, step totally on stage free. and see what happens? Exactly. Uh, yeah, sometimes, uh, you know, I don't know the person, and sometimes the other guys don't know uh, the person I call, um, and it's really great uh, to to be able to to just do this every month and meet new people. Uh, in many other styles of music, particularly in the rock world, it's very common for guitarists to play together. But in jazz, it's a little less common for there to be more than one guitarist on a date. What's that like for you when you play with other guitar players? Oh, I actually really like it. I um, we had so many guitarists uh, come in and play. Um, you know, like Andrew Smiley and uh, Marco Capelli and um, Anders Nilsson and just a bunch. And it, it's really, I really like it because you see how other people play your instrument and you check out what they're doing. And so it's, um, I really like it. Uh, Did the addition of a horn to your band instead of having a piano as the other, uh, as another instrument, did that? change the way you were writing or the way you conceived of yes, the band? Yes, no, definitely, because I, because um, I'm not really taking the role of a, like a full like harmonic instrument, even though I, I am. Um, I'm almost like in a be- in kind of in between a, a, a horn and a piano, because I do a lot of single line um things with uh, with the saxophone and I also play the chords but it's not uh, just okay saxophone plays the melody I play the chords it's kind of um, 
I do a little bit of both so I can kind of lift that um, harmonic presence which um, actually helps open, opening things up just not having chords and also in the writing that's I mean a lot of my tunes don't have chords they just have bass lines and melodies and then I'll I'll, I'll leave it up to the improviser to uh, imply what's what's there and they might imply something a little different so I kinda welcome that uh, personal approach to understanding kind of like you know understanding that counterpoint and say like oh you know I think he's thinking this chord or not and so that keeps things um, a little more open uh, and you know potential surprises uh, so Are there some upcoming performances that you'd like to mention? Yeah, I've got, um, let's see, like April 3rd, this quartet is playing at uh, Downtown Music Gallery. Um, that's earlier in the day, like 6 o'clock. And then we have, uh, in May, we have Tea Lounge, May 12th. Um, and then we have, actually, another uh, project of mine since you asked earlier but I didn't finish <laughs> it's a duo project with uh, uh, trumpeter uh, Josh Deutsch and we just finished um, mixing a record um, of uh, mostly original tunes and um, we'll be uh, touring in the west coast in early May so uh, Seattle, Eugene, Mount Shasta and Oakland so we have a week of uh, shows there. Nice. Four nice places. That sounds like a good tour. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's great. And how about the uh, the Bushwick residency? Is that still yeah, going on? Yeah, that's every every third um, Saturday of the month. Okay. Um, and that's that's been you know, going on for about uh, three years. Um, and that's a Goodbye Blue Monday. Goodbye Blue Monday. Yep. And eight o'clock. Um, so. Every you know every month we have someone new. So. Is there anything I didn't ask you about, Nika? Didn't ask me about the title. Oh yeah, <laughs> sure. Tell me about the title. Um, I thought that was you know because a lot of people are like, oh, what's what's up with the title? Uh, the re to tell you the truth, the reason the title doesn't strike me as strange is because there's a Bobby Previtt album that I really like that's called Just Add Water okay. from about ten years ago, ah. and so the, the title Just Add Water to me now sounds like a perfectly normal okay. album title. But, but uh, I'm I'm willing to believe that other people find it strange. So go yeah. ahead and tell me how it came about. It, it came about. I, I was trying to think of of kind of the, the role of of improvisation in in my writing and uh, 
the idea of uh, of uh, kind of depth manifesting itself in surface. So I thought water would be the the it's almost like the perfect surface, uh, and uh, the idea of just uh, depth coming and emerging in its surface, and it's almost like always uh, um, kind of condemned to show up in a surface. Uh, so, and I was thinking, uh, you know, the the element of improvisation as the water that that uh, so in a kind of instant noodle type of uh, metaphor the the water <laughs> is the improvisation and the writing is the the msg in a way <laughs> actually at, at the uh, at the release party we did in january at new blue uh, i gave out for every cd uh that people would buy i'd uh, give out a top ramen noodles with it <laughs> very nice <laughs> Uh, that is definitely the first instant noodle metaphor that has ever made its way onto the show. So that's a, that's a good moment. You know, it's interesting it, that idea of depth and surface because um, unless improvisation is captured on recording, when you're listening to improvisation live, uh, often I find it a little challenging as a listener to really plumb the depths of the improvisation because it's all going by and I can't recapture it. You know, right. it, it requires, a, I think, a very special kind of focus to be able to really understand the depth of something that's happening right in front of you that you've never heard before. Yeah, I mean, it's something, um, you know, when we play, uh, we we bring all we have to that surface. So it's, it's um, you know, every musician, I mean, in this case, the four of us would, would bring... All our, or our like past musical experience to that moment of improvisation. So um, the the idea of just emerging on the surface, I, th I thought that was a good way to to see um, this music, you know. Um, and just just hit generally, you know, the idea of of presenting a surface as uh, you know a way to see through it. You know what I mean. Um, there was um, one thing that made me think about this in in depth was um, one time I was talking to this architect um, who uh, did um, I think it was from a big fir firm like I'd say like uh, I want to say Herzog and Braun they did the um, the De Young Museum at uh, Golden Gate Park. And the the building, it's it has this really cool uh, skin of the building. It's this copper um, skin, and um, he was he was explaining explaining how they came came up with that. And it was like a very elaborate. They took pictures of the trees, and then they did big blow ups of the pictures, and then they took the 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 grain of this picture, and they transfer it to the copper with like uh kind of uh textures like popping in and out and it was like really elaborate and i'm like i mean if you didn't tell me i i would have no idea that you just did that and he's like well you know it, it doesn't really matter because it was the process of bringing all this to the surface that that took took us there and uh and it looks great so if you if you see it, he's like, oh, that's 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 great. Even though you don't know anything about it, so 
I really like that idea of of the of the research and the exploration, and then all that comes up and it's it's distilled in that surface, and uh, so the surface is what you get, but there's a whole lot more um, to it. So yeah, and there's often more that's accessible. I mean, even like even just in the room that we're sitting in right now, you can. You can imagine, we can imagine the age, whatever the age of this building is, like probably how many layers are under the paint that we can see. What else has happened in this room? What else has been hung on these walls? What the floor originally looked like? I mean, there's just, it, it seems like all around us, it's very easy to stop at all the surfaces that we encounter without plumbing the depths. I mean, the same with the people that we encounter. You know, how often do you get the chance to really sit and talk to someone and right. kind of explore? Uh, yeah. And this seems like music that's, um, well suited to repeated listening for exactly that reason, because there's always more to discover. Yeah, yeah, yeah. in fact, I mean, in a way, I, I kind of applied this this idea of the uh, long process, and then you come up with something that is just a surface on on that arrangement I did of uh, oh, "Oh, What a Beautiful Morning," which I just I really love that melody, and I just wanted to 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 find a different way to to play it. Harmonization with triads and relationship to the bass and all this this elaborate thing, and then it just uh, came up as this. You know, you hear it and you don't know what's going on. It's right. you know, you say, oh, you know, I like it, I don't like it, and whatever. But it's just there on the surface, and you can access it. Um, but uh, without all that research, that surface. You know, wouldn't be there. It would not be that surface. So, I, um, yeah, that's kind of a bit of a concept that kind of guides me uh, when I write. You know, 
My guest is guitarist Nico Sofiato. He and his quartet have a new album called Just Add Water. And uh, it's been such a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you very much for doing the interview. Oh, thanks for having me. That's music from guitarist Nico Sofiato and his band. Their album is called Just Add Water. I'm Jason Crane. This is the Jazz Session presented by AllAboutJazz.com, the web's leading source for jazz news, reviews, MP3 downloads, and more. Every episode of this show is available for free at thejazzsession.com. You can also subscribe in iTunes or using an RSS reader, and the links to do all of that are found at thejazzsession.com. My thanks to the Respect Sextet. They've got a new record out called Farcical, Built for Six, and you'll find it and all of their other records online at respectsextet.com, and you'll also find out about their concert appearances. Also thanks to Dave Vrabel, who designed the show's logo and who tweets at twitter.com slash Dave Vrabel, V-R-A-B-E-L. Get out there and support live jazz whenever and wherever you can, and come back next time for another conversation about jazz on The Jazz Session. Thank you for listening. Bye.